time, weather, and... Always pass. Welcome to the Jay and Pav Podcast Experience. Okay, stop. Listening to the Staff Room Podcast with Che and Pav. We talk casually yet poignantly about the most relevant topics in teaching today. So come on and chat with us because we love to engage in great conversation. Welcome to episode 92 of the Staff Room Podcast. Our conversation today is a little bit more reflective in nature as we look back to see if we've been able to bridge any equity or tequity gaps in our school communities over the past year and a half. This past year has proven to be one of the most challenging in our teaching careers, but we've also been provided with a unique opportunity to bridge some gaps that may have existed in terms of access and use of technology. It's going to be a great conversation, so let's dive right into it. My name is Pav Wander, and I'm half of the dynamic duo known as Che and Pav. I'm sure you must be wondering about the other half. Well, he's right here. I'll let him tell you who he is. Staff Room Podcast. Let's roll out. Transformers. Oh, was it? <laughs> I just, I just, I just meant we should get started. That's my youth and right I, there. <laughs> your youth. My youth. And I am Che <laughs> the Hurricane. Mm-hmm. Cheney, and I am exactly fifty percent. Say good one. I'm fifty percent. Okay, I'm thirty-two percent. Uh, if you're just using, you know, productivity as a gauge of uh, right. percentage, thirty-two percent of the staff room podcast. <laughs> and uh, I always love when you put that pressure right from the. It's going to be a great conversation. It's going to be a great conversation, uh, uh, Jay. We, we, I'm setting the tone. right We here. only find out afterwards if it was a great conversation. No, no, no. This is called uh, having a positive outlook. Sounds toxic. <laughs> <laughs> Pav, it's been a it's been a really busy week yes. of recordings. Yes, um, and one's going to lead into our anecdote, but we are also we're behind the scenes with Voice Ed Radio and the anti-racist book reader book. Uh, anti-racist educator reads book yes, club with Kalinda Klein. That's yes. right, and a really powerful conversation. And and you know what? Despite being live on the drive, and the staff room podcast, and being guests, there's actually nothing more stressful mm-hmm. than being behind the scenes trying to make sure. And it's not that you're making sure; it's just you feel such a burden of. 
of responsibility of making sure you're able to do this for other people because you don't want them to have that bad experience. We've had experiences where our own tech fails, but somehow you feel like you're just letting yourself down or you can just be frustrated with yourself, but you carry a, so much more emotional burden. It and was like, sweaty. And, yeah. It to was make sweaty. Sh- yeah. But you know what? Everything was great. The conversation was, uh, was very, very rich. So um, yes, it has been a very... A very busy week of recordings. Please check that out if you haven't had the opportunity to. Uh, so it has been busy and we've got a lot going on. You know, we're, we're wrapping up our school year. We've still got um, two more days of school, Monday and Tuesday, uh, to wrap up the school year. And uh, it, it gave us a real opportunity to spend a little bit of time reflecting on not just this past school year, but um, but this entire time that we have been teaching through the pandemic uh, ever since it began in uh, in March of last year. So March of 2020. So it's now June of 2021. We've got a whole year and a little bit to reflect on in terms of, uh, in terms of how things have gone. And uh, I think that something that has come, in, come up in the past uh, year is this conversation about this is a real opportunity for us to bridge some equity gaps or uh, a lot of people have said tequity gaps um, in order to catch up certain communities or students that have been marginalized, maybe not access, didn't have great access to technology. This has really been an opportunity for us to be able to do that. And this, this uh, comment right here, or this idea gave us real uh, pause to reflect a real opportunity to think back and say, well, did that actually happen? And uh, if so, how, and if not, well, what happened and what's going on? So I think that this, this is the conversation that we really want to get into today. And I know you've got a great anecdote to get us started, Che, with I this I had one. I had one. Which, you know, I didn't give it away. What are you talking about? No, but you, you know, I got a short-term attention span. And now that you got right into the content, like I just, I don't know if I emotionally have it in me to do an animated uh, anecdote to get us started. Oh, Che. I'm just leveraging. I'm just trying to leverage some sympathy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to go into a, an anecdote. <laughs> okay, thanks. Jay. I, I found it again. You know, it's that reminds me of, of like uh, kids when they have fights over the soccer balls in the playground. They're upset for like three seconds, and they're like, "Oh, want to go play soccer?" Yeah. Um, so we were on the mentoree, mm-hmm. which is uh, Noah Daniel hosting, and we were on with Bashiva, Sarah, and Tamara, and the conversation was on disruption. And right. uh, are we a disruptor? Or what are we seeing in terms of disruption? And the mic was going around to sort of some of those final statements. And, you know, it was a really great conversation. So many great insights from people in different components of the educational realm. And we got to the the final component and we were talking. And I think the comment came out, I hope we don't return to normal or people don't return to old ways. And that always gets me a little fired up. Because I'm always thinking, please, please find me a row of teachers that are saying, I can't wait to go back to the way things used to be Mm -hmm. 18 months ago. I don't know if there's actually any teachers out there that do that, but it's certainly in the educational realm. It's a great talking point. It's an easy talking point. Oh, let's hope people don't. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. People, are you you throwing teachers under the bus here, implying the teachers should go back here? You you show me a a group of active practitioners Mm -hmm. that say this. Now I'm listening a little bit further. But if it's just people generally in 
the educational realm that are throwing on, you know, I just, I hope teachers don't go back. And, and I got, I wouldn't say I wasn't offended, but this is one of those little phrases I actually, I can't stand because it's one of those phrases that in the mastery framework, is that actually true? Are teachers really going around saying that? Or is that just your means to being able to say something where the foundational point's not right? right. And I went on and I, um, I said, I actually don't actually worry about that. What I worry about is the idea that we think we've accomplished something great, Mm -hmm. that despite having made gains, have we actually bridged any gaps? And so when we talk about inequities, as much as um, everyone is soared and everyone's made, I wouldn't argue learning loss, everyone's made gains, but have we made equal gains? Or has the upper echelon continued to make even more accelerated gains? So despite mm-hmm. making gains, it's sort of the communities that haven't had as, as rich of access, don't have as much technology. And we know that usually f- uh, focuses on social um, economic needs, and which also ultimately comes down to racialized communities. And so despite the gains, is it actually, have we gained? Have we picked up anything? And so my comment was, I actually hope when we come out of this, we don't think that we've done the work. We don't just pat ourselves on the back and think we've bridged any gaps. I said, I'm willing to bet, and it's too early to have tons of empirical data. I said, I'm willing to bet there's actually a greater gap. Right. And and it just led to a lot more great conversation. And then you and I said, this is this is this is our topic this week. Remember when we said we were gonna go on summer vacation, we got nothing left to talk about. <laughs> we have nothing to and talk about. And now we're like two, nine minutes in, I'm fired up. I'm yeah. fired up. You know what it is? I mean, we go back and we reflect at the end of every school year. Every school year we go back and we say to ourselves, Okay, well, what was great about this year? What things, you know, worked really well, what things did we find that we really needed to build upon? where were some of our pitfalls, the down falls of this of this past year and and this year um yes we still do the same thing but now we have this added um factor to to have into our play of thinking about and this idea of did we bridge any gaps yes we purchased a lot of technological devices in our schools um and we were really able to go from you know like a six to one student to chromebook ratio to a one-to-one ratio and we really tried our hardest to make sure that every student had access to a device and so we might think we might think that we have uh, made great gains in that in that arena but you know it really had us it really had us thinking we might feel as though we have closed some of these gaps with students acquiring the technology that we've needed but but this ability to to gather all of these technological resources that we might think are a little bit uh, basic, you know, like, like those basic needs of being able to access the education that we've been having in, in the past year and a half has really stripped in many schools that technology budget, like it has really taken away from what schools have had access to in terms of money, whereas there have been a lot of schools that didn't need to spend any of that budget because they were already one-to-one. And so now they're left with this increase, this surplus of budget, of technology budget that they can then go on and purchase more and more, or, you know, something that's very different or more STEM related, or, you know, we're, we're talking about all kinds of other software, other tech access that, that now we are going to have to continue to catch up on. PD. PD. Advanced PD That's for teachers, right. uh, more experiences. Uh, have your school, even more than mine, um, has been ensuring 
that every student has a Chromebook and that comes at a massive cost. And the mm-hmm. second they go out mm-hmm. in, in our communities, we don't put pressure to get them back. In right. fact, we almost, without advocating to keep them, it, it, it reminds me slightly like of my library, my class library. And if a book goes missing, if it's in the home of a student, they're going to read that book, then I'm not worried about it. I'm just right. going to replace the book. Yeah. And I think our Chromebooks is the same vein. And I know your principal specifically, as soon as a Chromebook goes out, it's not a, oh, how are we going to get it back? How are we going to monitor? It's immediately spend the money to buy another one. Buy so more, you've yeah. now paid two for one. Mm-hmm. And so you you talked about that perfectly. It reminds me of Tony Kornheiser. When you're going through any problem, the root of all of this comes down to money and so so much of our budgets in schools that have to constantly put out this money despite their budgets maybe being a little bit more but you know what i could argue uh, that you those schools might get a little bit more budgetary money but they get a lot less income flying in through those buildings That's based right. on the community in which they're in uh, reminds me of lebron james going to miami yeah he took a little bit less money but no tax so mm-hmm. he would bring in tons of cash um Sorry, sports analogy. <laughs> I was just going to say, did you just throw in two sports analogies? <laughs> well, t- I'm counting Tony, Cor- Tony Kornheiser as a... Uh, hey, well, I lobbed you up a fastball and you took it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's three. Um, <laughs> and so our practical experiences, as much as we're making great gains and we're getting tech in the hands of our students and we're building our capacities, but is it at the same rate or an accelerated rate right. from, say, a school that didn't need to invest any more additional time, didn't need to invest time in securing where Chromebooks are going, didn't invest teachers in the building to monitor Chromebooks and get Chromebooks out. And even that, when you have two teachers that are facilitating merely the the delivery of, of Chromebooks, the getting back of Chromebooks, well, that's, that's manpower, that's teacher hours. So in other schools, teachers aren't doing that. They're not facilitating that. Their teachers are off doing more PD, perhaps curating greater resources for their schools. Mm-hmm. And so... This reminds me, Pav, I had in my notes of an old um, article from the New York Times that I had studied with my students because we were talking about building your resume, getting involved, doing community work. And we were talking about, you know, systemic inequalities. And we were talking about the pressure to um, broaden and bolster your resume by doing as many different things as you can so that you could be at the, in the concept. You could equal to your counterparts, but then this article said that there was this actually this creation of the superhuman mm. and that, you know what, despite all students now having this idea that they needed to bolster their resume, they needed to do volunteer work, a special part of society could now outdo you. And so you could send your children uh, overseas to do volunteer work. You could give your, your child a super resume. And so despite everyone knowing how to build their resume, there was still an upper echelon that could now one-up you. So despite adding on and knowing how to, do your, to build up your credentials... There were still, you still weren't actually going to catch up to anyone. Uh, we all mass, we were all ascending, but still the top of that pyramid was actually extending at an even accelerated rate. Right. And yeah. so it, bolstering your resume, despite making it feel like you're getting in the game, getting rid of some of those disadvantages, actually you're just falling further behind despite your growth. Yeah. And I think what I, you and I both feel comfortable, despite the growth of our schools, our collective ability to teach better, we know from some of our peers that we're connected to that are in different areas that it's, and even if I, I won't even throw, I'm not even throwing anyone on the bus. Let me talk about my kids. When I talk about my, my, my three daughters, when I compare them to what my students are doing and what I'm doing in my space, 
you can see the uh, the, the difference based on the mm-hmm. how long they've had access to technology, and based on that technology, how much those schools could commit to PD for their teachers, mm-hmm. and how much they'd be willing to commit to different softwares. My daughter in grade four is very smooth and very comfortable and well entrenched in the technology in the Chromebook that my grade sevens and grade eights they're learning and they're mastering. But I would put their, I wouldn't say their skill level, but their level of comfortableness in regards to these platforms in a similar space as my youngest daughter. And not because my youngest daughter's smarter than them, but simply she's been immersed in this space for so long. There there was was no no learning curve to continue in your Chromebook. And so she was building wellness rooms on her digital slides. Well, my class was doing it for the first time. My class loved it. And they were so engaged in making their wellness room. But it's a comparison... And, and it's not to say that the teachers in these spaces have been learning about these things far before. It's, you know, you, you work with the, um, the resources that you have around you. And so if we have been working in a school and we've been one-to-one or even two-to-one or even three-to-one in our uh, school spaces, we would have a lot more opportunity to explore some of these things that have been out there. Um, but but it, it, the, the need hadn't been there until now. And so we're, it's, it does feel like we are catching up. And actually I, you know, something that's very related to what you were talking about, Che, something that I read in, um, a a fantastic article, uh, that was called Ontario's plan for education hurts the most marginalized students. And, uh, we can, we can, um, link all of these articles, um, in the show notes as well. And, and something that I learned in this was that, very early on, it was determined that there was going to be an average of three months loss of skills and knowledge. And, and I know we've had a very lengthy conversation about learning loss and is it a thing and, and is it real? Let's, let's pretend we haven't had that conversation and that learning loss is a potentially real thing. I mean, it is something that There are people that are doing research on, and they have determined that there is going to be this average of three months of loss. This this data reflects loss in comparison to accumulated data before. So it's not so much that it's it's arguing it's a loss. It's arguing that it's not where it's been traditionally. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So based on the curriculum that should be taught, there is an average of a three-month loss of skills and knowledge that has occurred during the, the pandemic. And this... This information came out relatively early during the pandemic. And so what what we saw happening all across North America, all across the world, I would say, are these uh, these learning pods that were popping up all over the place where you have uh, parents who are paying. Uh, a certain amount of money. And and some of the research uh, that I found was something along the lines of, oh my gosh, I lost the fact, but it was about $70 an hour or something for, for these small learning pods that were consisting of about three to five students. And it was like private tutoring for, for Mm. students um, as their homeschooling program during the pandemic. So you could be learning at home, uh, all of these things that you were potentially going to be losing. And so now you have parents who are able to pay this top dollar for private tutoring uh, at a very small ratio, these learning pods that were happening all throughout the pandemic, because there was this access, there was monetary access, and then there was also access to the knowledge that there was going to be this um, so-called three-month learning loss that all of a sudden we're too afraid to, to have 
in existence. We are too afraid to have that three months of loss. We cannot let our students, our children fall behind three months potentially, right? And we didn't know that this was, you know, actually going to be happening or not, but we couldn't, we couldn't take that risk. And so now we're putting money into these private learning pods in order to, um, you know, so-called catch up or keep up with the curriculum, uh, so that we don't fall behind. And so of course that gap also begins to extend further and further and further. So, um, I don't know, just to keep it to the point that we're trying to make is that we don't know that there has been any sort of bridging of a gap. In fact, we think that that gap has uh, been exponentially growing uh, larger and larger and larger. So it's very interesting to take a look at some of this data to see um, how it's growing and in, in the many different ways. You're right, Pav. It's very early. So do we, a lot of our, our observations, why it's a reflective episode, it's just, it's a thought. Mm-hmm. But it's also based on some stuff we've been reading as well. And I found some stuff that came up, or I thought about it as you were commenting on that, on this idea of um, how much advantage do you have at home during this crisis learning and then remote learning. Mm-hmm. And I found an article that talked about sort of this philosophy on who's who has the ability to bridge gaps. And this notion of, I know we're Ontario, so we don't have the same philosophy, but it it always trickles down a little bit, this idea of no child left behind. Mm -hmm. And philosophically, what it it is perpetuating is that the system, the school, the teacher, the technology can bridge the gap Mm. with the right tools, with the right uh, access that that we can eliminate the gap. And the the article went on to say, but this is actually statistically wrong. We actually know that we can predict a student's success, unfortunately, by non-school factors, which is the social economical, which tends to also be about marginalized and racialized communities. Those numbers, those stats tell you predominantly how successful you're going to be at school. It's not necessarily on the school and it went on to talk when we talk about teachers going or students going remote yeah you can have your device and and yeah you can worry about broadband and you can give that but it also talked about some of the physical environments and it talked a lot about about the 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 potential or what the data would tell you is more likely not help happening in those homes and so it talked about that um what type of learning space do you get to have in your home when you mm-hmm. go home and, and it, are they equitable? And then you'll find, of course, based on socioeconomics, certain students are going to have robust spaces, access to multiple computers, access to resources that they can, you know, one of our limitations for trying to do experiments, et cetera, was were we going to be able to ensure every child had that stuff? And did you want to make them feel bad or collectively go through that area with your students knowing you couldn't partake in say the science activity that you'd found because you knew seven or eight kids wouldn't have the space right. or those stuff at exactly. home and you didn't want to put that burden on them to get it and so there's communities where you don't need to worry about that you can right. you can keep that learning going but then it also made another interesting observation it talked about you talked about those pods those um learning very pods, technical yeah. explicit paying the, the bills this article actually talked about that predominantly in in households that are socially and economically well off that there's a lot more flexibility in those work conditions for the parents yes and a lot more flexibility and ability to stay at home and so it talked about a lot of the informal learning and then when you talk about learning loss like the contrary to learning loss is what are we measuring that loss by and this stat is measuring it by certain criteria and we can ascend in other areas where we've seen growth but is it equal growth but it talked about how 
some of these parents, a large majority of these parents, were able to give their 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 children a rich learning experience by going on nature walks and taking a much more active role in that organic growth as a student. That informal learning. Yes, yeah. where uh, students in social, uh, where the social economics are much weaker, the type of jobs typically held by parents in those households do not afford them those luxuries. Mm-hmm. And so it talked about when we were it, at home that th- these these spaces con- were just conducive to further inequalities, not because of the device and the broadband, but because of those environments to go around with the social economics. So I thought that was really interesting. So you were talking about some of those formal plans that infiltrated it. The one blog I was reading was talking about all these sort of informal, this organic growth that is able to manifest itself in certain spaces and and then not in others, which of course plays up into the idea that in this virtual space, we actually haven't bridged any gaps. No, you're absolutely right. And and I think it is, like you said, uh, a little bit too early to tell if uh, if we've actually fallen further behind or if, you know, it's it's still this idea of we're just trying to play catch up or or did we did we actually make um, some gains that will potentially in the next few years allow us to bridge that gap? Have we done the fundamental? Mm, uh, have we laid the foundation for us to be able to bridge that gap in the coming years? Is that something that we can potentially do? That's a really good point, Pav. I hadn't thought of that. Like you're right, we've we've laid a, a, a groundwork here that mm. I, I think we'd both be comfortable saying the upper echelon is able to accelerate ahead. But have you laid a really great foundation that maybe the catch up is coming? Right. Which I think comes one to our original points is not to pat yourself on the back and think we've done it. Mm-hmm. It's to realize there's still work to do. Um, now I'll go to a sports analogy. COVID-19 gifted us a batting practice fastball down little middle in 89 miles an hour you can crush that pitch wherever you want mm-hmm. and so we were able to see it identify it and go for it but now that we go back into our building and if we falsely think we've we've solved anything we're less likely to look right we're tr- we'll get a little stoic a little static but then even when we go back that you're not getting that batting practice fastball. No. You're getting a 94 mile power slider that's cutting hard at the last second. Yeah. And you're swinging at something where you're, maybe you don't know where it is. There's going to be a lot more concerted effort. And so, which came back to that mentoree comment. I don't think it's about teachers going back to new ways. I think it's about teachers thinking that maybe we have collectively feel we've done great work, which we have done great work. This right. isn't about someone right. not doing their job. This is about all of us collectively doing our, our, our job and doing great work, students, teachers, and men. But yet, even with that, even with that, those systemic inequalities allow certain peoples to ascend even further. I think uh, I think I understood your your sports analogy this time, and uh, I have this, to say, it's just the gym guy in me, like, yeah, hey, I'm right. just like, I'm tired of this teacher talk. Let's make this just make this accessible for me. That's right. Um, but we we will have to be much more intentional with uh, with this knowledge now, knowing that we we are we are on the way, but we can't we can't drop the ball right now. We can't say, you know what, this is we've done the work and we're good to go now because when we get back into the schools and. September, there's going to be a lot of onus on uh, administration, on the teachers to pick up everything the way that it was, you know, at, at a certain point. And there's going to be all kinds of things that are that are hitting at one point, thing at, at the same point. So it's going to be, you know what, we've done all of this work. The students all know what they're doing. So let's just continue the way that we were doing things before and then potentially lose those gains that we made in this last year and a half. Or 
you know, we continue going and, and we just lose everybody at the same time. So, um, you're right. Absolutely. We are going to have to be far more intentional with what we do now going forward in the next couple of years. Do we just, you know, say, oh, well, that was, that was a heck of a year. Let's forget all about it and move on with, uh, our lives. Or are we going to say this was really an opportunity for us to reflect and look at all of the, all that we have gained in this time and do something with that. So, that's a great thought. Thank you, Che. And sorry, we're going to add something. I, I know it's just about commercial time because, yeah. you know, you, for the summer, we want to cut this down. I, I found this great set of data that talked about, and I think I, I feel like I want to bring this up because it's, it's just slightly extension further here. And it talked about the f- initial movement to crisis learning. Right. And everyone had to try to find new ways. And, and yes, some students in some schools were more apt at it. And then we sort of had that summer break and we came back with remote learning. Mm-hmm. And so you and I have always articulated there's a difference. We had the summer to prepare. We were able to sort of build some ideas, what we were going to do. But here comes an idea is that do you still feel that the face to face learning experience is more valuable than the completely virtual one? I feel now. That is, I've built a, a, a vast array of new skills and, and new pedagogies virtually. I still feel they're best executed for me when I go back into the classroom. Right. Yeah. And so this article talked, this was, this was the leverage point. And it brought some data. And it, it talked about what type of schools went back to face-to-face. What schools did not go back face-to-face? They remained remote. And it held on to the idea that the face-to-face experience was a better learning environment. And with all these new gains with remotely, when you went back into the school, your learning was enriched. So if you don't believe in that, then the data doesn't mean as much to you. But it highlighted that schools and districts that were going back were high-end social and economic, Mm -hmm. predominantly white, and disproportionately marginalized and racialized communities were being left to remain remote. Yeah. And so it was arguing that as schools have shifted back, you'll start to look at the data of what schools and what districts were able to go back into school. And was it disproportionate, right? You talk about Desmond Cole. When you see disproportionate data, we have a systemic problem. And it highlighted that, that districts and communities that were marginalized and racialized, they were not going back at quite the same rate. And if you could buy into the idea that this remote learning, which we all already has been indicated isn't totally equitable and it's certainly unequitable for our marginalized community well if they're predominantly the ones that are staying in this type of learning and we already know it's not as beneficial for them think of how accelerated it gets for your upper echelon white community that's able to go back into school and continue to ascend and so it had some really great charts on I don't know if this is the same article that you read, but I have some, I, I had actually highlighted a few things as well. Um, if I could just read this little blurb from this article. It's not the same article. I'm looking not, over your shoulder no. and mine was not an Ontario based one. Cause okay. I know in Ontario, there hasn't been that flexibility. There's been slight variations right. on who goes and who doesn't. But the data that was in this article supports everything that you actually said. It says data analysis by the Globe and Mail of four school boards in Ontario, Peel District, Toronto District, York Region, and Hamilton Wentworth Wentworth revealed that in-class learning rates were the lowest in schools located in the most racialized communities. The numbers were particularly stark in Brampton, where just 56% of elementary school students returned to classrooms, substantially less than the 83% of returning students in Hamilton. 
So it's definitely um, something to consider. There's data that is supporting that um, students are definitely going back at higher rates in higher social economic uh, areas. And those that are cannot afford to do so are are staying home to, to be virtual learning. And then that is actually making a huge difference. There's two components there. It's district's ability to send everyone back. Right. And then it's also community's willingness to go back. To go back. Because you and I right. both know that our, my school is functioning at like 25% right. in person. Yeah. It's like 200 it's just, kids of 650. Exactly. That was very interesting. Lots, lots of oh, craziness here. This is like uh, lots, lots of stuff happening. We're supposed to be dialing it down for the summer. We should be, but for some reason we're amping it up. So uh, I think this is a great time for us to take a little bit of a break to collect our thoughts and uh, bring down the adrenaline rush from this conversation here. Sort of like um, a like a seventh inning stretch. It's gotten exciting. Yeah, seventh inning stretch. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and a commercial break. I certainly want you to come back. So for our commercial, we talk about the drive with Che and Pav on Voicehead Radio or chayandpav.com slash radio. And as we talk about dialing it down for the summer, it's because we are dialing the drive right up. We are back to our original morning time slot. So if you're on the way to the cottage... Out on your fishing boat, need some background music. The drive is pumping 9 a.m. to 10.30 on Friday morning starting July 2nd. But if you love that Sunday night time, that really quiet, intimate time by the bar- by the barbecue, <laughs> by the fire, we still get replayed at that time. And so the drive is live starting Friday morning on July 2nd. This episode is also brought to you by our blog series. And if any of our content pushes you to push us, or to to draw us into a new path, a new line of thinking, please write a blog to complement the content. Our content is not the gatekeeper content. It's just two active practitioners take on a situation. And we only share the experiences which we have. And we know even in teaching, there is a variety of different experiences based on who you are and where you are and what you're teaching. And then also, please enjoy our summer series of podcasts coming out, a series of great interviews with great inspirational educators. We had Jason Toe just recently, we got Tom Shimmer coming up, and we got a few other wonderful surprises laid in for our summer series. So please, check that all out. And you have been listening to part one of the Staff Room Podcast. And we are back from this, or on this, lively discussion on have we really bridged any inequality gaps? Mm-hmm. Great conversation, spurred on by engagement and dialogue on the mentory, and then our own thoughts and our own feelings and our own experiences. And then a few articles here or there, and you start to just say, oh, my thought, my instincts were right on this particular idea. Let me th- look a little bit more here. Let me look a little bit more there. And Pav, you know, I keep saying is this summer got to dial this thing down, but this has been a fun. You were right. <laughs> you, were, you were. You were. This was a great conversation. I told you. Roll out. You gotta listen to me a little bit more often. Sorry, what was that? Okay. Now let's go. Uh, your Ralph Nader impression, because I think we're ready oh. to wrap this up. Oh yeah. No, um, I do a great Ralph Nader impression, and uh, and I think that what he does really well is he he does these great quotes. So I'm gonna try to do the same thing. And I quote: Over the past year, 
The COVID-19 pandemic has undeniably illuminated and amplified inequalities within an education system that already underserves and poses challenges for students from low-income, racialized families, and or students with disabilities. The current crisis presents an opportunity to completely reimagine education and schooling so that it values the interests and needs of all communities based on their lived experiences. And that is a quote from Rishika Wadhera, and she just wrote this uh, great article called Ontario's Plan for Education Hurts the Most Marginalized Students, which was just released, I believe, yesterday. So um, really timely, really great to take a look at. And uh, we will post this article in the show notes. End quote. Thank you for completing my impression of Uh, Ralph Nader. This has been a good conversation because it's been good reflection for us, Pav, because you know what? I do believe teachers and students they haven't suffered from learning loss i do believe there's been exponential growth but when you stop and you think and you start to and we start to think about our communities i always think about especially last year when we went um into crisis learning and because our school hadn't been tech rich that also meant teachers hadn't been tech savvy with professional development and men hadn't funneled pd down and so it took a large amount of time to Mm -hmm. start to funnel and get tech to our kids and then there was no pd for us so teachers were sort of figuring it out on their own and then you had the summer but of course in ontario it was a lot of flip-flop on what we were going to do and we didn't invest as much time say in teacher pd for tech right and although i've learned it and i've grown and i've ascended only now at the end of the year am I really comfortable with the three or four tech platforms. Do I have a real vision for how I want to use these next year in my space? And then I think of my students' growth. And and I think, what was the greatest activity this year? It was building up and ascending, going back to last year. Because when you only get Chromebooks two periods in a week, you don't build a lot of your pedagogies. You don't build a lot of your assignments in there. And you don't maximize. You know, I don't know how you can maximize Chromebooks for two periods in a week. But you don't put it, make it part of your school culture. It's not right. your learning culture. It's not priority. And though this year, like the great culminating event that I was excited about and my students were except they made a web page. Yeah. And I said, but there were students and kids that were probably already able to make web pages a year and a half ago. And just think... No lag time waiting on computers. No lag time waiting on teachers to ascend and build new PD. I've had the luxury of having some student teachers this year, and they've come in with a, a vast array of tools and techniques to use in the room, that, that virtual digital space like Desmos that I had no idea about. Right. And and, be, and nor were your students ready for that. They had, they had no idea about That's it because right. I didn't have the PD. And I'm thinking, but there were schools and students that didn't have this lag. They've been, they've been flying. They've been going, you know, at a, a car racing analogy. <laughs> <laughs> they've been gone from the get-go. So yeah. now my instincts tell me, do, I have a, do we have enough total data to say this definitively? No, I guess not. No, but I think I, it's I, too early for that. But I'm going to trust my instincts a little bit, and I'm yeah. going to revert back to that idea of that New York Times article years ago about resume building, and I'm drawing some parallels there. 
But there's been a good conversation. I agree with you. There's been a lot to think about here, a lot of reflection and a lot to uh, think about going forward, because I think that that is really ultimately the important thing that we need to take away, that there is, uh, there is stuff here for us to think about as we move forward. Now, do we go back into our schools in September and say, great, everything is back to normal. Let's just go back to how we were doing things before. Do we use this as an opportunity to say, you know what? We have a great foundation now. We can really bridge some gaps. So um, I enjoyed this conversation. I have a lot to think about here. Um, I'm probably going to write a blog post of my own, just thinking about what to do moving forward. It's good. We need some written content. I know. <laughs> we, we, we've had this conversation on the hierarchy of uh, professional content. Yes. There's, there's a real hierarchy. There is. That, but that's a conversation. That's another conversation. For another time. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to come back for that one. I think it's a great time for a swag bag, Che. I don't know about you, but I think that we've had some really rich conversation here and some takeaways might be necessary to think about where to go All right, moving you, forward. You get the barbecue started? I did. <laughs> Got the sw- lighter in my hand. Swag bag on episode 92 of the Staff Room Podcast. My first one was don't slow down. Keep looking for inequalities because they're there. We were gifted, gifted that, that insight and now we got to go digging for it. Now we got to look harder. And it comes down to the idea, our, our gains are to be celebrated. Our students' growth is to be celebrated. But, and there is that but, who's accelerated further? And what are we going to do beyond that? We got to keep taking those real intentional steps to keep building on this great growth and not be satisfied that we have done a great job. Yes, we have done a great job, but it's time to expand, uh, which is why I put there, P.S., Teachers are not thinking about going back to what things were like 16 months ago. Please drop that vernacular uh, for all the educators that are listening. The teachers, well, they already know. Uh, And then I put the here path, two things. Don't take what we say as the be all end all. We're not gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. We're just two active practitioners that love to engage in conversation. And we love the feedback. And not feedback to say whether it was good or bad, but to say, hey, have you thought about this? This really resonated. I have this example. Whoa, whoa, you're off base on this. I have found this. We do the learning. When you interact with us, that's the conversation. That's the space. And so we hope you appreciate our words and we hope that it triggers something new that you want to push back on us or support or expand or give us something else to think and ponder that's what this space is all about mutual growth collective learning and then of course in the swag bag listen to the drive vroom vroom we are on july 2nd starting our live broadcast for the summer on Friday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern Time to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. It is the way to kick off your weekend for the entire summer. So come along, bring your coffee cup, and join us for The Drive, Fridays at 9 a.m. And thank you for joining us in the staff room, although you're no longer allowed in the building because it's summertime, eh? (laughs) All right. Take all your belongings. You've been listening to episode number 92 on a crash course for 100. Thank you, everybody. We'll join you next week. Or you can join us. <laughs>